we, we started a series last week. We started talking about um, the, the title of the series has been Finding the Way Forward. And we're going to be here for several weeks. Um, I'm honestly not positive how long, um, but several weeks as we walk through some things. Um, the point in this, the goal in this is to do some teaching around some things that our vision team has been discerning as our guiding principles or our core values. Now, I want you to know, as I say that, and as we walk into this, these are uh, some ideas and some values that the vision team is continuing to hold loosely. Not because we believe we've got it all fully determined, but because we've taken these things over and over again to God, and we hear them echoing. We hear the voice of God echoing in these being the things that define us, that clarify who we are. And yet we want to hold them loosely because we want to continue to be open to God speaking. Around these things and these ideas. Some of them we haven't even clarified what they fully mean yet. Which is a really complicated opportunity for me to try and teach on what they mean. Because we're still figuring out what does this look like for Valley. How does this happen. But these core values. These are the stake in the ground type issues for us. The things that we say no matter what. These things don't move. These things don't change. We're committed to these no matter what happens. In a way there are, there are, there are guardrails or are guide rails continuing to keep us on the road of moving forward. Of becoming the church that God has called us to be. And, and I hope you recognize as we move forward these aren't activities. These aren't specific ministries. These aren't practices that we do. These aren't things that we put on a schedule. These are the the priorities or the values that push us towards those things we put on our calendar, towards those specific actions that we believe we need to be a part of as a church. Last week, we talked about discerning God's will. We talked about what that means and what that looks like. And even though we started there, we didn't actually start there because we feel like that's the most important of the values. I think I said that last week, but if I didn't, I want to say it again. We're not necessarily saying that we feel like discerning God's will is the most important of them. We started there because that in many ways has been a starting point in this practice for our vision team. We started there because that's part of what we're inviting you to join us in in the coming weeks. We started there because we wanted to do more than just choose what we thought core values were. We wanted to do a work that we believe is more faithful than simply deciding what is important to us. We wanted to sit before the Lord, committed to listening and to praying, to waiting, and to following what it was that God laid on our hearts. So we started there, and these began to surface. We also continue to come back to that practice as over and over again we want to discern what it is that God is speaking to us as we look towards the road ahead. To understand what it means for us as individuals and what it means for us as a church to find and to follow the will of God. Discernment is not really a starting point. It's really something that we grow into. It's something that we learn how to do over time. It is an outgrowth. Of what we believe are more foundational values that we'll talk about. 
And yet it's crucial to us becoming who God has called us to be. Discerning the will of God is crucial to us becoming the people that God has called us to be. A willingness to find and then to follow. That's what we said discernment was. To find and follow the will of God obviously has to be a part of our faith journey. It must be a part of what we're doing. It is a necessary practice in faithfully following Jesus that we are seeking out the will of God and choosing to be faithful in following that. So now we want to continue in the series. And the truth is, today may have made more sense as a starting point if we were just to list out these are the things that we think are important. Because today's value and what we're talking about today is what we believe is kind of the cornerstone of all of these values. This is the the primary motivating force forward. This is the driving force, the, the, the value, the priority that we think all of the rest of these rest in. All of the other values that we'll talk about come out of spiritual transformation. You've heard me say over and over again that valley exists to make disciples. And this practice of disciple making, this is our our personal and our corporate move towards spiritual transformation. It's the idea that something is happening in us, something is changing in us that is helping us move along this journey. This is the instigator for all of the work that we do. It's the starting point for everything else that is important to us. All of the other values, all of the other practices, everything that we do is a fruit of spiritual transformation. A fruit of disciple making. The reality is, as we look through these values, and I was thinking about this week as I was looking at the list of them and thinking through them, we can fail at most of these things that we're going to say are important and still be the church. But if we fail at this one, we're no longer doing the work of the church. If spiritual transformation is not happening among us, then we are no longer the body of faith, we are no longer the women, we are no longer the men that we are called to be. We cannot be following Jesus if spiritual transformation is not happening in our lives. This is where this all begins. This is our primary motivating value. This is what we want everything that we do and consider to be driven by and motivated by. So let me talk for a few minutes this morning about spiritual transformation. What do I mean when we say that? What's, what, what are we trying to say? What is it that we're hoping happens? What is it that we're hoping taking, it takes place in us if we're moving towards this idea? And I want to start with a beautiful definition that comes from a really, really great book by a man named Robert Mulholland. The book's called Invitation to a Journey. And in it he says this, spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. For the sake of others. Spiritual formation. Is a process of being conformed. To the image of Christ. For the sake of others. Four elements of what it is. Four elements that we want to break down. That I want to look at in his definition that's going on. And the first is this. Spiritual formation is a process. We often talk about the idea of discipleship as a journey, a journey that every person is on from knowing nothing about God to being a faithful follower of Jesus. 
Spiritual transformation is a process. And this language of journey, this language of a process is important for us to grasp for several reasons. One of them is so that you and I remember and we understand and we continue to be committed to the idea that this work is still happening inside of each of us. That movement is important, that change is necessary, that evolution is mandatory. We have to continue to evolve into what Jesus is calling us to be. We all have room to move forward. No matter where we are on this journey, no matter how long we've been following after Jesus, no matter how long we have been a part of this, we have more to become, more to discover, more ways in which we can be faithful to what Jesus is calling us to do. We're called to be more connected to Jesus and his will than we are today. We all have room for growth and for movement to evolve into something new. We aren't finished yet. None of us. Me included, if I wouldn't say me specifically. Not finished with the process. Another reason that this language is important is it gives us the ability to be more gracious to others who are also on the journey. It gives us the ability to be more gracious to those who haven't yet committed to Jesus. Who haven't yet made a decision to follow after Jesus because we can recognize that they too are somewhere on this journey. And there was a time that we were in a similar place. There was a time before we, too, were following Christ. So, so as we look at the journey, we don't look that everyone is at the same place. It gives us grace for where they are and where they're traveling and how they're moving and what's happening with them. It also helps us understand that as different people, we will live this faith journey differently. Because we are in different places. We are on different Paths. I have to be careful with the idea of paths, and I realized that as I said that this week. But as I was trying to think about the idea of this journey of what it means to, to be disciples, often we'll draw it out with the idea of over here is knowing nothing about God, and over here is being a faithful follower of Jesus. And I'll draw, draw a straight line. Or Callie, what's the one with the arrow on one end? Array. Sorry, that's my math teacher down here. Or, or I'll draw a ray with this idea that we're consistently moving forward. But I realized this week as I thought about that, that that picture is completely messed up because it draws the idea of a path as if it's always in a straight line. And the reality is it's not a straight line. Different ones of us are on this. We all start at this same point of knowing nothing about God. And ideally, we all end up in this place where we become faithful followers of Jesus. But the road between here and there, it's not even close to a ray. It's whatever one of these things might be called. It weaves and bobbles all over the place. And for each of us, there are different journeys that we walk. Now, what it means for us to follow after Jesus means that somewhere along that road, there would be this place of intersection where all of these paths would cross, that we would choose Jesus. So I'm not talking about different paths as some form of universalism, that everybody can find their way towards, towards God or salvation or eternal life. We need Jesus for that. But we won't all find our way towards Jesus in the same way. We won't all find our way towards following Jesus in the same way. 
We will follow different paths, and that is completely appropriate because we were created differently. There is no cookie cutter in this. We were created differently, so God relates to us differently. And when we use the journey or the process language, it gives us the ability to remember we might have taken different paths towards the same idea. So we find different spiritual practices that motivate us or move us forward or keep us connected with the faith. Different streams of Christian faith may read the scriptures different. May have different understandings of what it means to do this or to be faithful in that or to follow this path. That doesn't mean that they're wrong or we're right necessarily. That means that we are on this path and they are on that path. And together we are chasing after Jesus. We want to become more faithful followers of Jesus and who Jesus called us to be. We will all have ups and downs on this journey, but we won't find them at the same place and we won't stumble over the same things and we won't struggle with the same things and we'll all do it at different times. But the ability to use language or process uh, language gives us greater grace for others who are also on this journey. Friends, we are on a journey. They're on a journey Let us discover how we journey together, even if we find ourselves on different paths. We are in process. They are in process. This is the great work of spiritual transformation. Second element of of Mulholland's decision, spiritual formation is a process of being conformed. One of the great paradoxes of this idea of spiritual transformation is the reality that the process is dependent on us and at the same time the process is not dependent on us. We are responsible for some actions and yet at the same time there's no action that we can do to take care of this. There is nothing that we can perform or do or choose that makes the work of spiritual transformation take place. We can't change ourselves into what God has called us to be. You and I can't do enough good to become who Christ has called us to be. Doesn't mean we're without responsibility. Doesn't mean we're without um, tasks that we're supposed to do or actions that we're supposed to perform. But we can't get there. We can't accomplish this on our own. The passage from Romans 12, it says this, it says, uh, verse 2, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The primary work of spiritual transformation, the primary work that we're called to, that is taking place in us, is God's work. God is the one who is forming us. God is the one who is shaping us. God is the one who is making us something new. Apparently, the Greek word that we use for conformed is the same word that we use in English to talk about the process that that a caterpillar goes through to change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's that same Greek root that leads us to that word. And as you think about that process, what is it the caterpillar has to do? Just be present. The responsibility of the caterpillar is to be present. 
the breaking down of that of that structure of that creature which happens in this process the forming it into something new and different none of those are works that the caterpillar does that is work that is done to the caterpillar and in the same way we're supposed to grasp that this work is a work that the holy spirit is doing to us and our responsibility is to be present and willing now, let's be honest. This is incredibly hard for us, isn't it? Incredibly hard for us to imagine anything that looks like this, especially as modern-day Americans. Because we like to be in control of everything, especially ourselves. The idea that we have to give up control, that something is happening to us and we have to release that to God... Is overwhelming for us. And yet spiritual transformation requires of us that we release control. It requires of us that we submit ourselves, our lives, our wills, our own desires to Christ and his desires. That we release our self-satisfying expectations. And take on the expectations of God. Mulholland says it this way. Spiritual formation is the great reversal. From being the subject who controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. And this work happens in God's time, in God's ways, as God desires. And perhaps I'm the only one. But for me, that's a little unsettling. It's a little unsettling to imagine what it means to release all control. Because this work is happening through the Holy Spirit. Friends, like it or not, we have bought into this fast food culture we live in. That literally advertises your way right away. And we've come to believe that that's true in everything we do. But in this process of spiritual formation, we are in a process of being conformed. The third piece of it is that we're in a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. The reality is, whether we like it or not, we are all in the process of being formed all the time. By everything that's taking place, we are being formed and changed and made new and learn to think different and act different all the time. All the way back to the beginning of our life, it happens, we're we're being formed when we learn to speak. We're being formed as we learn to walk, as we learn to run, as we learn to pray. We are being formed as each of us learns a new skill. We're being formed every time we read about or are taught a new idea. We are being formed in some direction. Formation is happening all around us. We're making decisions about what we'll do and who we'll become and where we're going and what we'll spend our money on and what we'll do with our schedule and what's going to happen in our life. All of those decisions we are constantly making, making and they're being driven by something. And the reality is that something is often changing. It's often a moving target. And we're chasing after it, trying to figure it out. That's why Romans 12, verse 2, the passage that we read, 
says that our transformation shouldn't be driven by the culture, which is the norm. The norm is that the culture, the world that surrounds us, is what typically drives the formation of all people. What is happening culturally is what makes us decide what does and doesn't matter. Look at the clothes that we wear. And the ways as we walk through each decade or each generation, they begin to change. And then they cycle back around And things that we knew would never be cool again after the 80s somehow mysteriously resurfaced. Because someone made us think it was cool again. It wasn't cool then and it's not really cool now. And yet we all will still wear it because the culture says that we're supposed to. Because we are being formed all the time. But Romans 12, 2 says that as Christ followers, that our formation... Now, I don't know if Jesus is that concerned with what we wear and whether or not 80s clothes are or aren't in. But the idea is still the same. As Christ followers, our transformation is supposed to be driven by Christ. It is God who is working that. It is God who is the driving force. It is God who is motivating in us change. We're to be transformed, not by the culture, but we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. What is being changed in us, what is being evolved in us to something new if we are Christ followers is that we are losing or shedding away or the Holy Spirit is stripping away everything in us that is not consistent with the image of Jesus. The Bible actually tells us that we were created in the image of God. And then it goes on to tell us that because of our own decisions, because of our selfish desires to run our way instead of God's way, that we broke that image. We broke the image of God that was us. And now the Holy Spirit is working to reform us, to recreate us, to bring us back to the image of God by transforming us, by conforming us to the image of Christ. Christ who existed perfectly in the image of God. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, it said this, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The Holy Spirit is working to make us a people who are no longer broken. The Holy Spirit is working to remake us into the image of Christ, to make of us something brand new. Butterflies are not caterpillars. They are something completely different. And yet one comes from the other because of the transformation that takes place. So spiritual transformation, a process. I forgot the rest of it. That's terrible when I forgot. Anybody remember what number two was? A process? Now you're cheating. He put it on the screens. I see it. A process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. When Jesus was pushed to take the 600 plus laws of the Jewish faith and to narrow them down into the one most important commandment, he couldn't do so. He couldn't take just one among the 600 plus and say, it's this one. 
Instead, what we see from Jesus is that Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. It's in Mark 12, uh, verses 30 and 31. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, we have a tendency to read these and say, okay, so this one is the greatest and this one is second. But that's not what Jesus was trying to do when he used the word second in this. This was not a hierarchy of which is the most important and which comes in second with regards to these. Jesus was pushed to this place of deciding and he said, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll take two laws that you already know. And rather than saying this is the most important or that's the most important or because I can't choose one as if he had a problem deciding like I do. He said these two that you know now become one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength. And at the same time, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God requires our loving others. And loving others requires us loving God. Spiritual transformation that is taking place in us is our being moved or changed or evolved into this place that we have a greater love for God and for others. It's not one or the other. It is always both. Friends, the work of the Holy Spirit in us has purpose and intention. The desire of Jesus was not that he could perform some art project. This is not some craft fair in which Jesus is trying to to make something prettier and to make you and me prettier than we were yesterday. That is not the goal of the Holy Spirit's work in us. It is that we become a source of new things in the lives of others. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is. That we become a source of new things in creation. That we become partners with God in bringing about new life. This was the purpose. This was the intention. So probably the greatest judge for you and me as to whether spiritual transformation is taking place in our lives. Are your relationships with others becoming more and more Christ-like? That one hurts just a little bit. The idea that I can clarify whether or not spiritual transformation is taking place in me based on whether my relationships with other people are becoming more Christ-like strikes a little too close to the core. And yet this is the calling of Christ. This is the calling of the New Testament. This is the hope. The Holy Spirit is forming us to be more like Jesus so that our relationship with God and our relationships with others become more Christ-like. And this new way of having relationships is the root of us joining God in recreation. Spiritual transformation. Is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So what does the church do in this? As we talk about this idea of this being a core value, what is it that the church is doing? And it seems to me that the responsibility of the church 
in spiritual transformation for each of us and all of us is that we create an environment that nourishes the fertile soil of our souls. We create an environment that prepares us for the work of the Holy Spirit. And we journey together through this process of transformation. That means that the work that we do, the ministries that we're about, the priorities that we claim, the commitments that we make as a church should aid in our soul formation. And we want to introduce or create or choose or commit to tools that instigate this process. Tools that fuel this process and keep it moving forward. And that we walk together in becoming all that Jesus desires for us to be. That our relationships with one another, with God and with our neighbors, both near and far, evidence that spiritual transformation through the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in us. It's because we are committed to this process as a church, because we are committed to this idea, because this is a core value of who we want to be. It's because of that that I have been involved for over a year and have a little more than a year left in this, these journeys back and forth to Chicago to be a part of this transforming community. Nine different times I go, as I told you, including today. But going because we believe that our spiritual transformation is of great value. Ours as a body. So as a church, as a family, as your pastor, we have committed time and resources to be a part of this. To commit to this because we believe that because our spiritual transformation matters, it is important that spiritual transformation be part of what is happening in my life. The idea that I can't lead us in doing that if it isn't also true in me. Ruth Haley Barton, who leads our meetings together, has said many times, and I have no doubt that she will say again this evening as I gather with her, that the greatest thing you bring to your leadership and your ministry is your own transforming soul. She has told me that over and over again. She will tell us that as a hundred of us gather with her. The greatest thing you bring to your leadership and your ministry is your own transforming soul. And church, I want you to know that the same is true of our body. The greatest thing that you bring to the body of Christ, the greatest thing that you bring to Valley is your willingness to be present and to allow the Holy Spirit to form you. The greatest thing that you bring to the church is your own transforming soul. You bring that, you surrender and make that happen, and we try and create a place and a people and a gathering that instigates and fuels that process. And I wonder this morning as we talk about this, is this value, this idea of spiritual transformation, is it alive and thriving in your faith journey? Are we committed to being present with Jesus so that transformation can take place?
Are you and I willing to surrender completely so that we can be formed by the Holy Spirit? And are we committed to taking this journey together? This is what the church is called to be. This is what the church is called to do. This is the kind of people, the kind of place, the kind of church that we want to be now and every day of our future. But it requires that each of us be willing to come offering up our own transforming soul. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, continue the work of transformation in each of us. Complete the work that you have begun. Push us forward. Help us choose faithfulness. Perform the work in us that we can't perform in ourselves. And God, help us be willing to come. Willing to be present. Willing to surrender to the sometimes difficult and always beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.